You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 317 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have good friend and occasional contributor, Frank Little Bear Deerfoot, professor of Indigenous Peoples Studies for the North American continent, a.k.a. Turtle Island. And we talk to Professor Little Bear about his father. His father recently passed and how it has him even more so than usual looking at the meaning of life. We talk about good aiming humans and how they tend to hold on to things, the need to be able to adapt about two worlds, Earth Day, water, pipelines, and how we borrow this planet from our children, among other things. Great conversation with Professor Frank Littlebear today on the program. We have an EWSA titled Love and five, though really four, poems by the likes of John Bunyan, Catherine Mansfield, D.H. Lawrence, and Allison Cassidy about butterflies, read by our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavise. And we have another poem by yours truly, titled Boneheadedly. And all of this, as is always the case, will be imbued, infused, with the energy of several great tunes. So nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 317 of Troubadours and Tours. Jesus and Elvis Painted on velvet Hanging at the bar Here every night It's good to be back again Oh, me and my old friends Beneath the neon cross And a string of Christmas lights Lola built this joint in 67 And a boy went off to fight Christmas Eve In a war nobody won She lost her only son Now everything he loved Is what you see Jesus and Elvis Painted on velvet Hanging at the bar Here every night Center. And his daddy told him music 
saved his soul Between the drunkards and the band It's a fitting promised land For the king of kings and the king of rock and roll Jesus and Elvis Painting on velvet Hanging at the bar Here every night It's good to be back again Oh, me and my old friends Beneath the neon cross And the string of Christmas lights It's good to be back again Oh, me and my old Beneath the neon cross and the string of Christmas lights By and by, Lord, by and by By and by, Lord, by and by Love Love is the answer, yes, but how? is the question. Fear, anger, and all the types of behavior that stem from these seem so much easier to find, to believe in as more real. We, or maybe it's more so just me, trust love less. It seems vain or fairy tale. It makes you weak and vulnerable. Is discipline based in love? Can we control with love? How can one attain position, wealth, and power as a purveyor of love? Perhaps I am emotionally stunted and intellectually misconstrued. I watch people in love, and it seems to me a feckless display of self-indulgent egotism. As to say... I, we, deserve this. Look how wonderful we are. Is not love humble, with deep humility, layers upon layers of selflessness? Though does not one need also to love themselves, if it can be made possible to truly love others? How? How can this be done? When I rise each morning with those routine questions coming to my conscience, steeped in queries of, what is all this? Who am I? Who are you? Where do I go from here? I know love and courage are tantamount to my survival, to any possibility of goodness. And yet, I struggle incessantly with, and in, love.
Hello? Hey. Frank Little Bear, is that you? That is me. How are you? Oh, good. Thank you for being on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Oh, oh me too. Uh, before we get started, I just want to make mention of uh, who you are. I mean, a little snippet. <laughs> I, I know that uh, you are a federal professor of Native American studies. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have a doctorate uh, in Indigenous Studies. Indigenous Studies, better yeah. better said. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Northern Cree. Yes. Is is your background, and uh, you and I have known each other. It's getting probably on twenty years, I think. Has it been uh, that long? I think it might. Yeah, yeah. be that long. Believe it wow. or not. Wow. I know. You still look young. <laughs> well, yeah, it's all the running around I do, I guess. I don't know. The insanity keeps me young. So I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, today um, we're going to talk about some, uh, some really important uh, items. And I guess we could say it is in the context of um, your, your life, of course, your, your, your culture. Mm -hmm. uh, your experience as uh, an indigenous person, Northern Cree background. Uh, and recently, your father passed. And I yes. want to say, again, I'm very, very sorry for your loss. Appreciate that. Thank you. And I know it has gotten you, you always have thought from our conversations, we've had many great conversations over the years, yeah. just one-on-one -on -one ha hanging around. We, you know, you're always reflecting on life and what it means and death. And now this, though, really has gotten you thinking about it some more as it, you know, makes sense that it would. Yeah. Well, you know, and there's, there's so many different aspects of it. You know, um, my mother passed three years ago and, uh, you know, and we all go through that, type of loss at some point in our life where, you know, we lose a, a loved one or lose a parent and, you know, it, uh, it just kind of, it just changed your perspective because it's like everything you're ever taught growing up, um, whether it be cultural or spirituality or religious, um, all these things really start to really come into more focus for you. And then now losing my father, it's kind of revisiting that. And then also kind of on a deeper level, you know, both my parents are gone. Um, and again, you know, I know there's many people out there that have gone through these same things, these same emotions. From my perspective, I know, and I know you and I, you know, yeah, we've had a lot of those, those conversations on that. Like, what is the meaning of life? Um, what is you know, our interpretation of why we're all here in this existence. And, you know, we've had a lot of great conversations about that, you know, uh, over the radio as well as, as well as privately, um, you know, and, and it's always for me has been an aspect of understanding, you know, we come into this world to learn and adapt to change and the fact that things just are not forever that, you know, we have to deal with that loss. We have to deal with that giving up of something in this life. And we see that everywhere, right? We see that in our changes. Um, we see that in nature, um, the seasons. You know, everything has 
a time frame for when it changes to something else. And it continuously grows and becomes more of its own existence in its own sense, becoming more aware of its surroundings, of what its purpose is. You know, we as human beings, you know, we try to do the same thing. Unfortunately, though, I think as human beings, we tend to hold on to more stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You mean as compared to other animals? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. As 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 human beings go, I think we're we're one of the ones. I mean, I, outside of I think maybe squirrels and chipmunks that collect nuts all year, um, you know. But you know, we, <laughs> we we definitely as you know as one of the many animals of this world, we tend to hoard things you know that are close to us. We try to hold on to things and, and maybe fall short sighted in the fact that we can't take that stuff with us on the other side. Um, you know, so it's, it's like that kind of a transition of things of, you know, yeah, we have these things to pass on to the next generation, hopefully, uh, so they can remember us and, and live out our legacy. But, you know, for us in our own existence, it's, you know, we have these things and, and what do they really mean? And what is the most important things, right? Um, right. You know, is, is it our family? Is it our loved ones? You know, is it the car we drive, the house we have? Is it the job we're holding on to? Um, is it, you know, what are, what are the things that really sort of matter? And I know like my father's story, um, you know, he was a veteran. He was, you know, pretty incredible guy. I think one of the most important things that stood out about him, you know, my mother, I've always said was a saint because she had to put up with my father. Um, <laughs> you know, so, but you know, my dad was always the biggest thing that he always had with him was his sense of humor. He always wanted to try to pass on that laughter, even at the most inopportune time or whatever, or when things were just completely going chaotic. He'd find a way to crack a joke. He'd find a way to, to make light of it. He'd find a way to persevere. Um, you know, but we, we miss those, those sort of connections, you know. Um, we miss the fact that, you know, now we're at a point in this stage where we go through that change that, you know, it's no longer just picking up a phone and saying, you know, Hey mom, dad, what's going on? Or how you doing? Or, uh, you know, sharing those pictures with people and things like that. So that's been, that's been a real heavy ride, you know? Um, do you feel now, I mean, you have, do you have siblings? You have siblings, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I have two, uh, two brothers and a sister. So are you the oldest? I am actually the youngest. Yeah, you're the I was youngest. the one in the family. Yeah. So, so your 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 brother or or sister now they are the elder, right? In the in the family, uh, and you of course you have children. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you have a beautiful family, Thank and you. you have oh you're welcome. You you uh, you have a responsibility to them. I'm sure you believe to for, to help them understand and to show by example what is life and what is most important in life. And right. now even more so because, you know, your mother and father are no longer there. Now you're right. the elder. Yeah. And that's exactly, you know, part of that change that we all try to prepare ourselves for. Um, you know, we all try to get into the, the context of, you know, what is our next role going to be when, when our elders pass on? Um, can we fill those shoes? Can we step up to those challenges? Can we meet those expectations? Um, you know, there, there's so many things like that, that, 
that, like you said, they, they just kind of come into play because we have to help our children understand, make sure that we're carrying those, those things on for them. And, uh, yeah, so I know, like, for our kids, you know, they're, they're still young, and they're, you know, you know. How old are they? How old are your children? My oldest is 16, um, so he's going to be driving soon. So he's, he's, and he, he's, he's always been a little mature for his age. Um, and then I have a 14-year-old, um, a 12-year-old, and a 10-year-old. Nice. So, yeah, yeah. Boy, girl, boy, girl. So Nice, perfect. Yeah, chalk it up to good aiming, but I don't think that has anything to do with it. So Good what? Good aiming. Yeah, good aiming. Yeah. <laughs> I never heard it put that way. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just one of those things. So. <laughs> but, yeah, so we, um, yeah, and it, it is. It's kind of, uh, you know, trying to help them comprehend and, and deal with, you know, their time frame that they had with parents and stuff. And, you know, it comes back to uh, my grandparents used to say that, you know, you know, everything does come to an end and everything has two sides. Um, you know, what ends in this physical world will always carry on in the spiritual world. So there's never any true loss. It's just a change of worlds. And I always thought that was really profound. Growing up, you know, I didn't quite understand it as much as I do now. Um, especially when my mother passed, that, you know, their essence, their spirit, they're, they're always living on, they're always with us. We always had these memories, these hopes, um, these stories, you know, uh, you know, remember the good times and the bad times. Remembering all those things do, do help to carry on their legacy, do help to carry on who they were and do keep their memory in, in our hearts and our minds alive. And, you know, uh, you know, that's become a very big part, but also a challenge because, you know, we still in the physical world, we have to live with that grief. We have to live with that aspect of loss. We have to live with that aspect of change that, so you know, do Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say that, that for many of us, you know, depending on where we're at in our own life, you know, that, that, that can, you know, that, that can hit in many different levels too. The change, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's a, a huge way of trying to adapt. You know, as you said earlier, you used to be able to just call your your parents up and talk with them, and now you just you know you just can't do that. And that's yeah. a huge. I mean, if you, if you did that regularly, uh, that's a major void now in your life. Right. Right. Now, do you, um, as uh, an indigenous person, one who who has made it a point to understand and learn? Uh, the ways of your ancestors, um, not being European Americans, uh, not being uh, necessarily—I don't think you're Christian, right? Did you convert no. to Christianity? Or, no, so I, ha I haven't. You, so when you talk about two worlds, is it, is it similar to heaven and and this physical world? Do you believe in a negative place like a hell in the in the in the Christian uh, you know motif? Well, you know. That's one of the most beautiful things that, you know, as we've worked on a lot of things over the years, too, you and I, um, you know, we've done those comparison studies to other faiths and spiritual beliefs and had those open forums. And I remember a couple of them that, that we sat on there um, up in Scranton and some of the other areas. Uh, you know, what, what was so profound about that was finding out how many similarities we do have. So... 
it's almost like uh, the way I can put it in my own perspective is that we're all on these different rivers, but we're all kind of reaching the same ocean. You know, um, we've all kind of come to a conclusion that there's, there's a creator, there's a God and there's something waiting for us in an afterlife and what we do and how we live our lives on in the physical world will at some point carry over with us right into that spiritual world. And not so much in in our culture, not so much as a judgment um, to where you're you're looked down upon. I know in Christianity and some others um, where you can be judged for you know your your sins or things like that, and you know atone for those. But for us, it, it sort of works a little differently because we feel that all those things that you go through, good and bad, you need to deal with and face here in the physical world. Because when you do cross over, when you're reunited with your loved ones when you're reunited with your ancestors, when you're reunited into that spiritual world, uh, it's only a place of love and it's, it's a level of perfection that you can't in this world comprehend. Um, you know, we were always brought up to understand that human beings were flawed. We were meant to be imperfect and we're meant to make mistakes and we're meant to carry certain burdens with us and hardships and value the upside of life and come to with great humility the downside of life because those are the balances so the two world aspect for us has been the physical world and the spiritual world and at many times they do intertwine so but it's a circle it's like every human being has a front and a back every Everything in nature, you know, has, you know, their their seasons that they change into. Um, all the animals go through these processes and things like that. And everything has its place. But human beings specifically are the ones in, in at least our culture and in our tradition has been looked at as being put here last among everything else that creator uh, put here in the universe and in the world. And we were the children as a two-legged human beings, we were the children that had to define our way, had to sort of go through our own evolution through many, many processes and changes to get to the point that we are now, but to still only understand that we are the last being to be placed here to learn from all the things around us. Because what our actions will dictate is the outcome and the effect to the rest of the world and those that are around us. So, you know, you know, you, you have the freedom, the wonderful, beautiful freedom of choice, right? Mm-hmm. And these, yes. th- these choices are, you know, to do good and bad in the world, no matter what. So I could, you know, for example, get in my car and do a bunch of donuts out in the front yard of my house or, you know, drive in the neighbor's yard and do donuts or whatever there. Whatever the case may be, that's, that's a choice. I can actually do that. Now there's also a consequence for that, of course, and you know, hopefully I would never do that. Um, depends on how much coffee I don't get that day. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Um, but yeah, we have those choices. We have these choices to, to, to do good and bad and, and uh, to live with those consequences here in the physical world. Because in our tribe of the Cree and many of our indigenous people, you know, when we cross over, um, you know, we're not carrying those burdens with us. So our for us, traditionally we didn't have a concept of hell. We didn't have a concept of 
uh, of having this beautiful world and then the underworld, you know, the, 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 the devil is in, this, is in the center of this earth and we can go up or we can go down depending on what we do. We have an aspect of dealing with those dark winds and, and that side here in the physical world, but that's also part of that change through your life. But again, it's all about coming to the understanding of what you're going to do and your actions. And, you know, every person and, you know, is dictated, you know, the character, the content of their character, the true content of their character um, is, is dictated by their actions. You know, I, I've always tried to look at the world in a sense of it doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what your faith and religion is because we have good and bad and all those things. And people that make good choices and bad choices and how they interact and react to individuals um, based on, you know, their appearances and their faith and their religion. And if you're accepting, if you're a loving, if you're a caring individual, if you can look beyond whatever your own personal uh, uh, vices and convictions are and understand that your neighbor, no matter how they live their life or or where they come from is another human being and together you can help build upon and make this world a better place to pass on because we borrow it from our children. You know, we borrow this world from our children. We're passing it on to them when we're going. So we want to make sure we leave it a better place. So if we can come together neighbor to neighbor and, and community to community, you know, we can truly do that. But well. You, you you got me thinking. You got me thinking about a few things. First of all, yes. when you say, by the way, we're talking to Frank Littlebear here on the program, uh, a good friend. He is he has his doctorate in indigenous studies of uh, North American peoples, and uh, federally given that doctorate, he he teaches and travels to uh, share his knowledge. He's from. Uh, the Northern Cree tribe. Now, I, I, I wanted to ask you, first of all, the Northern Cree, for many of us who aren't sure geographically where that tribe stems from, can you tell us? So the Cree, one of the things that about our people is we got around. Um, and what I mean by that is <laughs> we have uh, our Cree are mainly based, well, Algonquin-style uh, nation, uh, mainly based out of Canada. And our territory actually extends all the way from James Bay, uh, Quebec region, all the way over to Saskatchewan. Uh, our family actually comes from Battleford region of uh, the Sweetgrass Reservation out of uh, Battleford, Saskatchewan, which is where our descendants and cousins and stuff from. So big shout out to them. Um, but yeah, so we... Uh, and, that, and, and, and now you live in Pennsylvania. Yeah, now, yeah, now I live in PA. So... Um, of all places. So, um. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. But yeah, we, uh, yeah our territory actually extended down uh, into the, the Northern Plains region of that territory. We, we were, again, one of the largest nations and tribes. We were uh, one of the last to come into contact with uh, a lot of the European settlers, especially out in the, out in our northern plains area. Um, uh, so, and but we've been able to to keep and maintain our sovereignty um, and govern our own people. And we still have a lot of struggles 
that we fight with every day, even though we're almost looked at as a country within a country, because we're still dealing with, you know, the environmental effects from uh, the parliaments of Canada and how they want to, you know, affect our waterways um, uh, with the dams and things like that. And then logistically how there's so many people, uh, especially uh, the murdered and missing women uh, that has been plaguing all across the northern, our northern people up there. Uh, that just is just not getting enough light on at all. So there's a lot of things that are kind of going on. And and uh, so how many uh, individuals would you say still uh, can be counted as Northern Cree? Well, uh, the last census altogether, when they looked at from east uh, to west, it was something like just over about a hundred and something thousand people, which really isn't that many. Um, you know, when you look at that and that was included with all the, all the sub, all the subdivisions of stuff that comes down there. So, but yeah, the last census that, uh, that I got was just a couple of years ago, a few years ago, they were saying that it was, you know, our people were kind of growing, um, but they were having, you know, they were having some of their, some of their, um, uh, you know, just little, little things like that with people marrying in and out and things like that. But the last census was just something a little over a hundred thousand people across, across that area from just our tribe. We're actually still considered one of the largest, um, in that regard. And, and, uh, when you talk about, um, the natural environment, we just celebrated, you know, something that our government created a while back in 1970 earth day, which probably sounds silly to you to to some extent, (laughs) but, uh, I'm just wondering how how do you see uh, the effect of uh, you know European um, uh, what's the word I should use um, uh, presence? I'll just be very non uh, non passionate with the word I use. The European presence presence here on the continent. How has it affected the natural environment and your your sense of how we should treat the natural environment? Well, I'll put it into this context for you. So we only have one earth and we can't, you know, go down the road and buy a new one. And, you know, once all the trees are gone, uh, that give off this precious little thing called oxygen that we like to breathe, then we're going to suffer. And once all of our waters and we see the epidemic with uh, plastic getting into all the waters, including the ocean, um, right now that, that huge epidemic with that, that's going on where they're just finding, I think it's like by 2050 or something like that, or maybe it's 2025. They're going to say there's more plastic in the ocean than there's going to be fish. Um, mm. You know, I, I mean, I think that's not that far away. That's not that far away. Your children, my children, um, you know, they're going to be faced with that. Um, you know, farmers are, you know, slowly but surely losing their land rights to help grow crops you know, to properly feed people and do things like that because they like to outsource so many things because they're losing their territories. Um, you know, I, I mean, not to make light of it, Notre Dame uh, just had a, a huge fire and that was devastating, but they raised within 24 or 48 hours $7 million to help rebuild it. We have the rainforest that provides majority of the oxygen for this planet and and things like that, that is being deforest, you know, 
acre by acre, minute by minute, hour by hour, and nobody batted an eye for that. Um, mm. We had uh, a few years ago with um, uh, with some of the tribes that were, you know, um, doing the water is life movement, and they were trying to rally around to stop the pipelines, you know. And I know one of the big questions were, well, which pipeline are we talking about? Because there's so many of them that, that go across the country and up and down and everywhere else to move this oil. But when they start thinking about pushing those things under mighty rivers or through rivers and they break because they just don't have the technology to sustain that, then millions of people are going to be affected uh, by those things. So, you know, so to be honest, to answer your question, I guess I... I guess cynically, I will tell you, I look at human beings almost like the cancer of this world because we go into an area, we seem to deplete it of a lot of resources. We wait till it's fairly barren. And then when there's no more for it to, no more that we can take, we move on to something else. And that's yeah. been the, just, you know, for the past 50 years, 60 years, there's been such a push where if we have the technology, we have the engineers, we have the mentality and the education to do better, but it doesn't provide the financial gain to corporations and to big businesses that it would in the direction they're going in now. It's like right, they're, which they're is abusing. Right, they're taking the shortest cut to make the most money, and it's sort of like the hell with everybody else. Um, you know, where it's like, you know, we have to live in this world. We have to sustain this world. You know, we have to protect our mother earth. We have to try to, you know, surrender our own ego to the fact that like it or not, no matter what your faith, religion, or culture comes from, you know, we can't live without air. You can't live without water. You can't live without food and shelter. Yet your body is made up of all these things in our natural world. Your body needs the oxygen. Your body is made up of water. Your bones and, and, and muscles become the structure of your house. So it's a reflection of our environment. And, you know, with all the changes and things going and people passing, and like I said, it's, it's sort of like that was that deeper level of understanding that, holy cow, you know, look at what we could do and yet where we're going. Um, you know, now, you know, me, I'm not a very political person. You know, I try not to be, I, I, I'm, you know, by my own right, I'm an activist of a lot of things, but I, I always kind of find that, you know, governments in any country, you need to put the people first, no matter what. And, you know, in the old days, and even still today, our tribal governments and our tribal chiefs try to do this one thing. They get elected because... They don't, they look at, you know, not whether it's one side or this side, they look at it for what's just the best thing to do on behalf of all the people and they get their consensus together and they figure out a plan and they move in that direction. And, you know, for millions of years or well, maybe not millions of years, but for hundreds of thousands of years, you know, indigenous people that were here in this continent that we came from this place, you know, from the time of our earliest recordings were, you know, we flourished, we flourished highly. 
You know, there was over 5,000 tribes at one point in, that went across Turtle Island. Um, you know, and they, Turtle Island is the whole continent. Is the whole continent, Canada down to down to Mexico. Um, you know, the whole thing. And we we looked at it where we fought battles and we fought skirmishes, but it was never to annihilate another nation. We sometimes took in that other nation and made them part of our own to grow. Uh, but again, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, and for thousands of years, we lived that way. You know, we flourished in peace. We, we flourished in balance and harmony with our environment. We knew if you took too much from one area and didn't allow it to regrow and repopulate itself, then you couldn't return to that place. And that was, those grounds became very sacred to our people. So when we would like for our people, we're, we're migratorial, you know, we traveled around, we followed the buffalo herds, we followed the fish. Um, you know, even the, even the Haudenosaunee and the Iroquois people of Susquehannocks here in, in Pennsylvania, you know, they knew when they planted in a certain area and they took the harvest, you know, they had to nurture and take care of those grounds. And if the ground stopped producing uh, for some reason, then they planted somewhere else and allowed those grounds a chance to, to re-nourish and re-heal themselves so yeah, they could bear the fruit yeah. stuff. Yeah. And it was just smart. You know, down in Mexico, uh, they, you know, the Aztec and the Mayans were doing some insane irrigation uh, to get water so far inland where there wasn't any, you know, to sustain huge cities and populations of people. Um, you know, they were doing all these wonderful things. And again, living in balance with the, with the earth. Uh, do, you, you know, do you do you think do you think as time we're almost out of time by the way yeah. we only have like a minute or so oh. do you think if I often wonder this do you think if um, Europeans never came here and the folks that were already here your ancestors do you think uh, they would have changed in a direction that we are today here in this country you think it would have been the same or just in a totally different direction, maybe more in harmony with the natural environment? Well, I, I think we need to look at it this way. You can't stop people from exploring and searching out uh, in this world. It's our nature. You know, we need to explore. We need to move into new territories, you know, whether it be space, the ocean, across the country, across the world. We need to explore these things. We need to find something because in in our essence, we need to find out who we are and what our place is in this earth. So I don't think if they didn't come here, things may have changed. I think what it is is our mindset. You know, it's our mindset. It's our approach to this world. It's our approach to sustaining our humanity. And it's our approach to taking care of one another. You know, when we put all of our ego and jealousy and things aside and realize that you know, your beliefs and your convictions aren't going to affect or change my beliefs and my convictions, and we can coexist together, and we can build something because you have something I need and I have something you need. We can come together and create something amazing that could benefit our families for generations. When we come to that understanding with each other, then I think we're really going to see a great change. But right now, it's really hard to see that with just the way the world's going. We see fighting. We see all these other things. We're kind of, you know, every so many years we go through these cycles, but we still come back to the same thing where who hates who and 
who doesn't want to like this person because of their belief, who doesn't want to do this. And what we're missing out on is, you know, does it really matter? Because in another 50 years, you know, everybody's not going to be able to drink water. Everybody's not going to be able to, you know, you know, uh, harvest the land. People aren't going to be able to breathe the air, you know. We should be fighting those battles, not with each other, but for each other. So that's the kind of understanding I think we need to come to. Well said, and I think that's a good place to, to stop our conversation for the put a pause on it, uh, semicolon, we'll pick up another time. Absolutely. Professor Frank Littlebear, such a good time talking with you. I really appreciate you being on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Thank you so much, brother. I will see you soon. I know I'm going to be up in Scranton uh, over the summertime, so I'll keep you guys posted on some upcoming shows and lectures. Oh, yes, please do. Maybe we can get out with our families before you do your thing. And Absolutely. I love it. Yep. Take care, brother. All right. Talk to you soon.
Five Butterfly Poems Of the Boy and Butterfly by John Bunyan Behold how eager this our little boy is for a butterfly, as if all joy, all profits, honors, yea, and lasting pleasures were wrapped up in her, or the richest treasures found in her would be bundled up together, when all her all is lighter than a feather. He halloos, runs, and cries out, Here, boys, here! Nor doth he brambles, or the nettles fear. He stumbles at the molehills, up he gets, and runs again, as one bereft of wits. And all his labor, and his large outcry, is only for a silly butterfly. Comparison This little boy an emblem is, of those whose hearts are wholly at the world's dispose. The butterfly doth represent to me the world's best things at best but fading be. All are but painted nothings and false joys, like this poor butterfly, to these are boys. His running through nettles, thorns, and briars to gratif gratify his boyish, fond desires, his tumbling over molehills to attain his end, namely his butterfly to gain, doth plainly show what hazards some men run to get what will be lost as soon as won. Butterfly Laughter by Catherine Mansfield in the middle of our porridge plates there was a blue butterfly painted, and each morning we tried who should reach the butterfly first. Then the grandmother said, Do not eat the poor butterfly. That made us laugh. Always she said it, and always it started us laughing. It seemed such a sweet little joke. I was certain that one fine morning the butterfly would fly out of our plates, laughing the teeniest laugh in the world, and perch on the grandmother's lap. Butterfly by D. H. Lawrence Butterfly, the wind blows seaward, strong beyond the garden wall. Butterfly, why do you settle on my shoe and sip the dirt on my shoe? Lifting your vain wings, lifting them, big white butterfly. Already is it, it is October, and the wind blows strong to the sea, from the hills where snow must have fallen. The wind is polished with snow. Here in the garden, with red geraniums, it is warm, it is warm, but the wind blows strong to seaward. White butterfly, content on my shoe. Will you go? Will you go from my warm house? Will you climb up on your big soft wings, black dotted, as up on an invisible rainbow, an arch, till the wind slides you sheer from the arch crest, and in a strange level fluttering, you go out to seaward, white speck. Butterfly Dancing by Alison Cassidy
She stood crookedly at the desk on that first day. I'm Jasmine. Surely Kate or Jane would have suited her better. Forty-something and heavy, with a body that had rarely moved, and a sad pigtail that hung down her back like Eeyore's tail. I wonder how she'd go if she'd turn up again next week, and was pleasantly surprised when she did. Even more so, as the weeks turned into months, and the butterfly that had been so long cramped in its lumpy chrysalis began to emerge. Seems like she's doing something else on Tuesday nights now. Pity. Headedly, spring rain from overcast sky, clouds roll by, I wonder why, and still clouds roll by, in it delicious and yet pernicious my soul doth be, as I boneheadedly stray and struggle to dance free, I believe Mother Nature has me in her gaze, Though, as it were, as it be, she entertains me surreptitiously.
And there you have it, episode 317 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, my good friend, Professor Frank Little Bear Deerfoot. I also like to thank my associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavise. These poets, John Bunyan, Catherine Mansfield, D.H. Lawrence, Allison Cassidy, and of course, our musical artists, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Hayes Call, Lucero, Fox Warren, Swing Growers, The Stone Temple Pilots, Brantford Marsalis, and Terence Blanchard, too. Until next week, let's give it a go and try to enjoy this one. Thanks so much for listening.